thank you for joining me to spend a little time looking at one of the standout women in Paul's letters. She is one of a group of men and women who Paul worked, travelled and ministered with. In fact, he often called them co-workers, women who were active in ministry in many of the churches Paul founded. Like the church at Philippi and churches he visited or wrote to, like Ephesus, Corinth and Rome. Paul's writing shows that the Christian life is about sharing with each other in a community. It is about all working together, encouraging and participating in church life. For example, he says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. The very act of remembrance that unified the new believers around the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is called a participation in the blood and body of Christ. We, brothers and sisters, are active participants in this meal, and it is not something that leaders performed and others watched. So, we meet Phoebe, one of 18 women mentioned in Paul's letters and for whom two verses in Romans chapter 16 have been reserved. But don't be fooled into thinking that she was just a minor co-worker who perhaps was overshadowed by her husband's status and ability. No. In fact, she heads the list of people Paul is sending his personal greetings to the church at Rome. Remember, Paul had not yet been to Rome, so he had met them elsewhere. These are people he had worked with, and he held them in high esteem. We read in verse 1 and 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sencria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. This is an amazing chapter and I had previously consigned it to the boring list of names binned. It has opened my eyes to women in the New Testament. And it starts with this incredible commendation to this apparently single woman, Phoebe. We are given this outline picture of an otherwise wholly unknown person, a tiny crack in the shadowy, unreal darkness of these human lives. In fact, every name in Romans 16 belongs to a human life filled with hopes and fears, and now left immortalised on the page. Before we focus on Phoebe, let's reflect a little on some interesting facts and statistics about Romans 16. I must here acknowledge the wonderful Marge Musco for this data, and further information can be found on her website. So, 29 names are mentioned in this chapter, a list including Jewish, Greek and Roman names men, women, slaves and freemen. This is a remarkable illustration of the power of the new bond of the common faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Perhaps this brings to mind Paul's triumphant exclamation in Galatians chapter 3 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's not underestimate the tremendous divisive forces of the iron fist of Rome the power of the legalistic Jewish religion 
and the low status of women and slaves at this time. This is truly remarkable. When we dig further into this chapter, we find that 10 of the 29 names are women. And of these, seven are described further in terms of their ministry. Phoebe, Prisca, Mary, Junia, Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis. While only three men are Aquila, Andronicus and Arbonus. And of these, two are alongside a female partner, Aquila and Andronicus. These numbers are worth remembering and reflecting on when we perhaps think that Paul prohibited women from an active role in church ministry. It certainly makes you stop and think. So let's return to Phoebe. And the verb Paul uses to introduce her to the Roman church is commend. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Commend is significant in the Roman world and was used as a formal introduction, meaning to treat as me. Phoebe was not a member of the Roman church, but lived in Sancria, a port town near the city of Corinth. Corinth where, was where Paul was staying when he wrote the letter to the Romans. It seems highly likely that Phoebe acted as a postman for Paul's letter. Not unsurprisingly, this was a highly important and responsible job and Paul regularly dispatched his co-workers for this very purpose, to deliver his letters and to be his representatives and the letters first interpreters for the communities that received them. So Phoebe not only traveled from Corinth in Greece to the city of Rome, but also represented Paul and his message to the Roman Christians. The letter of Romans, one of the most deeply profound and spiritual written by Paul, may well have been read by a woman and perhaps first interpreted by a woman. Yet another thing for us to think about. So Paul's use of the word commend, also translated recommend, present or introduce, was to ensure that her entry into the community was smooth and trouble free. Paul uses three important, but much argued over titles to describe Phoebe, a sister, a deacon, and a benefactor. These are words loaded with meaning and responsibility and translated variously in other versions of the text. Of the word sister, there is no doubt. She is connected to the new family in Christ in Corinth and therefore in Rome. And so she needs to be welcomed by the church on that basis as a saint in the making. This welcome has similarities with Paul's recommendations of Timothy to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10 to 11. He is doing the Lord's work, so let no one despise him. Paul mentored this young man and he became a leader of the church and Paul's faithful friend. I have no doubt that Paul also loved Phoebe in the same way and mentored her also. There is nothing in the text to suggest she was less important and less official. The second word is deacon, a title over which there is some contention. The Greek word is diakonos and newer editions of the NIV, NLT and NRSV translate it as deacon. 
suggesting a growing acknowledgement that Phoebe was an official. And I use this term loosely, an official minister in the church. However, translators of the King James Version, New King James, New American Standard and ESV have rendered the word as servant in verse one. Perhaps this does not do her justice. Let's look at how the word diakonos is translated elsewhere. In the NASB, diakonos is translated deacon three times, minister seven times, servant ten times, and servants nine times. Paul uses the same word to describe his own ministry. He also gave this ministry title to others who carried letters for him. For example, Tychicus was a letter carrier and is referred to as a beloved brother and trustworthy diakonos. In Ephesians 6 verse 21 and in Colossians 4 verse 7, his role is explained by Paul as one that brings information and one that encourages your heart. Perhaps this gives us an insight into both the role and qualities of the deacons who carried Paul's letters. It strongly suggests to me that Phoebe would not have just dropped the letter off in a postbox and left. Rather, she would likely have read them aloud to the recipients and been available to explain further the context of the letter. Now we know that Paul talks about the qualifications of the role of a deacon in 1 Timothy. And this is alongside the position of overseer, elder or bishop of the church. Now is the time for a quick aside as we consider these two and only two positions of roles in the early church that carried any weight or authority. In line with the teachings of the Lord Jesus, who shunned and often condemned those in authority in the religious and secular world, blessed are the meek or the poor, as just one example, Paul avoided in most of his writings establishing any formal leadership authority in the church. Rather, focusing on a community of believers who all pulled their weight and used their gifts for communal good. However, the pastoral letters to Timothy, considered to be among the last written before his dead, death, do reflect a more organised, defined church hierarchy, suggesting that towards the end of Paul's life, churches had appointed ministers, bishops and deacons, to run church affairs. We find in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 to 7, the list of moral qualifications of an episkopos, overseer, supervisor or bishop assumed in the King James Version to be a man's role only, but not in more recent translations. Here, it is a little more open to interpretation. But what is common in all translations is that the overseer or bishop must manage their household well. The critical verse in this passage is verse five. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? That's the new Revised Standard Version. Listen again, let me repeat. If someone does not know how to manage his household, how can he take care of God's church? Yep, we are very familiar of late with the term household. In this COVID-driven world, those that are in your bubble, 
live within your four walls is your household. But this is not just a 21st century term. In the first century Roman world, the term household was equally, if not more important. The domus or household was the basic unit of Roman society. And the oldest Roman male known as the pater familias was the head. The household determined both his social standing and personal wealth. His reputation or dignitas was built on his household. The family unit and dynamic was very different from today and is perhaps for another discussion. However, the key point is that the household had, householder had absolute and unconditional authority. And unlike COVID safe households, several generations could easily live under one roof, along with servants and slaves. The organization could be a large unit. So returning to 1 Timothy, it seems that the first episcopos or overseer were householders, and that for the first commonly thought 200 years of the church, most meetings were held in homes. This is pretty clear from the many New Testament references to the church in her or his house. Acts 2 verse 46 talks of meeting in the temple and to breaking of bread in their homes. Interestingly, the four places where specific congregations are designated as assemblies at X's household, women were involved. Prisca with Aquila led a church in their house in Ephesus and later Rome. Aphia was a member of a house church with Philemon and Nympha hosted a church in her home in Laodicea. In house churches, Mark Mausko says that the public sphere, the traditional domain of men, and the more private domestic sphere, the traditional domain of women, overlapped and women, especially wealthy women, who hosted churches in their homes, had equal opportunities to minister. The last part again is worth repeating, had equal opportunities to minister. In the New Testament time, the whole household could become Christians or part of the household. In Philippians 4 verse 2, Paul tells us that there were even a number of Christians in Caesar's household. In large cities such as Rome, Corinth and Ephesus, there were several house churches with a network that connected them together. It seems that Paul used the expression kerchikon to distinguish the individual house churches from the whole church, hole he ecclesia, which could assemble on occasion. How these house churches were led or organized, little is known, but there does seem to be a culture, and in fact, a spiritual directive of full participation with no formal leadership initially. So it seems likely that most overseers appointed by the church would have been men, but not all household churches were led by a male householder. When it comes to deacon, if you remember that is what this digression is about, Phoebe the deacon, 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 to 13, outlines the moral qualifications for this role. By the time Paul wrote this letter, the diaconoi were probably official deacons with a recognised position in the church. 
In verse 11, the women mentioned are either female deacons or the wives of deacons, depending on which translation you use and which side of the gender divide you are on. Let's just consider though, that up until the fourth century, there was no separate word for female deacons. So it is likely that female deacons were simply called women here to distinguish them from male deacons. The fact that Paul mentions women's moral requirements for deacons and not for overseers only makes real sense if there were female deacons. Early Christian writers and old Latin translations indicate that Phoebe was an officially recognised minister and leading woman in her community. But even more exciting is epigraphical evidence that indicates that Phoebe was famous and recognised as a deacon by the early church. A funeral staley from the Mount of Olives and dated in the latter half of the fourth century reads, here lies the slave and bride of Christ, Sophia the deacon, the second Phoebe, who fell asleep to peace. Clearly, the early church recognised her prominence and status in the first century. You may think that the push for women leaders is a contemporary issue, but Christian historical evidence is clear. There are many such inscriptions demonstrating that women's ordained leadership was not secretive, was not something to be ashamed of, but was celebrated with reverence and honour. Let's now turn to the last of Paul's titles he gives Phoebe, that of benefactor. The Greek word is prostatis, translated in the ESV as patron and the NIV as benefactor. This word only occurs once in this form in the New Testament. Scholars generally agree that this word likely refers to financial assistance given to the church and missionaries like Paul. Paul tells the Roman Christians to help her as she has been a benefactor to many. This is likely a play on two similar sounding Greek words Parastemi and prostatis, perhaps leading some translators to prefer the more general idea of helper. The verb form of prostatis is prostemi and occurs eight times in the New Testament in three different contexts, church leadership, household management and practicing good deeds. In the context, looking at church leadership is perhaps more appropriate. The verb is used in Romans 12, when Paul talks about the differing gifts God has given us, many members, one body, etc. If it is leadership, do it diligently. Paul uses this verb in various contexts and it may have the combined sense of providing for and leading. While Phoebe was some kind of leader in the church at Sencrea, possibly the host or leader of a congregation that met in her home, it is unlikely that she was a leader of Paul. So the translation of prostatis as patron or benefactor rather than leader fits well with this idea. Undoubtedly, a prostatis, female or prostatis, male, was without exception 
an influential person in Roman society. And many scholars have noted the bias against recognising Phoebe as an influential woman in using more mundane words such as helper. Modern readers may perceive her just as a hard-working disciple who helped Paul, but the original readers would have thought of her as a significant figure of wealth and influence in the church. So what, you might think? Maybe you think the difference to be so subtle that it does not really matter. But when we consider that early English translations were compiled at a time when female leadership had been severely restricted in the church and that the woman's status in society was far less than equal with men. It is not surprising that early translators rendered these ministerial titles deacon and benefactor as servant and helper when applied to Phoebe. Phoebe was a wealthy woman who used her wealth, her mobility, and her personal resources to care for the saints and to assist in the spread of the gospel. Of this, there is no doubt. Her example should inspire us all to consider how we can use our advantages and opportunities to do the same. Linda Belleville in her book, Woman Leaders in the Church states, with few exceptions, believers assumed a ministry role in the church not because they were approved, nor because they had received professional training, but because they possessed the appropriate gifts to handle the task. So what changed? Well, a lot. But maybe that's a topic for another day. Church ministry, which was the province of the chief servant and humble disciple, as the Lord Jesus would perhaps have envisaged it, transitioned into one of power and status, with huge wealth and dominance over everyday life. Did this affect the position of women in ministry? Well, of course it did. Perhaps, again, that's a topic for another time. What is clear from Romans 16, and especially Phoebe, is that Paul honoured and elevated women who were qualified for ministry just as his Lord had done in associating with and affirming women's worth and identity in their own right. Do we perhaps downplay women like Phoebe, overlooking their important role in caring, financially supporting, teaching and leading the early church, using their God-given gifts to serve their Lord and Master? <laughs>